Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a movement of truth, love, and community. We are in our latest series called Saints, looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. When we hear the word saints, we think of men and women who lived hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, completely different from us. But are we that different from them? In this series, we tackle who the church is and who we are as saints. Take a listen to this week's message. My idea of racial reconciliation is seeing everyone come together as one. As they say, the body of Christ is one church. So that means it's not about the individual, it's actually about God. So through all the racial things that we then endeavored in the church as a, as a whole, sometimes it reflects on things that say is, is the issue being actually addressed or the issue actually being just walked over or just hid behind of a back door or something like that. But at the end of the day, I believe everybody has their own way of thinking, and I understand the culture difference, but coming together, that's what it's all about because the Jews and the Gentiles did it, and the only way they were able to do that because of God. God was the reason for everything, so without God, we won't be able to overcome this stuff. It's not about politics. It's not about social injustice. It's about being a church. So it's like, how does that look? You know, white brothers, black brothers, Asian, any race, we should come together and just serve God in a more due diligent way. I just want us to just come together as one and understand that the church is about each and every one of us, not the individual. And God brought us together for a reason. So I think that the only way we will overcome this is with God. There's no other way possible. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. And like we've done every week in this series, let's stand together. And we are going to read our passage from the book of Ephesians today. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. If you need a copy of God's Word, lift up your hand and our Connect team can get you a copy of God's Word. If you need a Spanish Bible, because we are translating this message in Spanish right now, you can get one of those as well. You'll also see the words on the screen. And we're going to read this out loud together. So here we go, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new body. Oops, sorry, hold on. One new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, in peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. 
So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. You guys threw me off. You were reading the passage so well. And so we have been in this series called Saints, looking through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And we've called it saints because, number one, that's one of the words that Paul uses for the church throughout this letter. Saints simply means holy ones. And what Paul is getting at throughout his letter to the church at Ephesus is about the church. He has things that he wants to tell them that comprise their church and their body and are significant to them. And here's the thing. What Paul has to tell the Ephesians is not, was not only important to them 2,000 years ago, but there is truth in this letter for us today. And so we have been in this series, we started in chapter 1, looking at what Paul said in the very beginning. Last week we were in the beginning of chapter 2, where Paul began to address really kind of how salvation came about. We said this, our triune God builds his church by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Getting at really that individual salvation. But what Paul does in these next few verses is take that idea of individual salvation and say, listen, it's not just that Jesus saved you from your sin and reconciled you to God. It's that Jesus is reconciling us to one another. That we would be what Paul says, one new man or one new body. Now, here's the thing. In our world and in our culture... Unity is difficult to come by. We have plenty of things that divide us. Whether it's your political views, whether it's your views on sexuality or race or economics, whether it's simply your preferences, these things begin to divide us. Now, we've also got things right, in our world and in our culture that unite us. We love the saints, right? It's saint season, and we're excited about that. We are excited about that. I don't know who said, did someone boo just a minute ago? That is unacceptable. We're excited about that, right? We love our neighborhoods. We love our communities. We rally around those communities, and God forbid we have another natural disaster, but I think if there's anything that unites us together, it's a natural disaster, I'm not praying for that, by the way, I promise you. So we have these things that divide us, we have these things that unite us, but what Paul is getting at is within the church, there is something more significant, greater, that unites us than anything that we experience. And what he's going to say is that person, his name is Jesus. So I want to encourage you before we jump in, you're going to see a link on the screen. That's where you can find all of our sermon notes, V-group studies, audio, video. We've also been posting uh, podcast episodes. One's going to drop tomorrow from me kind of explaining and talking about the church. There's an introduction booklet to the book of Ephesians. If you're new to the Bible or new to that book, you can find all of those things right there. But let's get into the meat of the passage. Here's what I want you to write down. 
our triune God builds his church, number one, with different people. Our triune God builds his church with different people. Now, that might seem overly simplistic, but I think this is what Paul is getting at in verses 11 through 13 when he's comparing Jew and Gentile. Now, he doesn't use that language. He says those who are circumcised and those who are uncircumcised. I'm not going to get into that today. We have biology textbooks for that, but you just need to know what that means. Those who were circumcised were of the people of Israel. Circumcision for males was a sign of the covenant. It meant that you were a part of the family of God. So the Jews were circumcised, and then there were the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. In the New Testament and the Old Testament, the way that you understood a Gentile was anyone who wasn't a Jew. So Paul says, listen, we're starting off with these two groups. You have Jews and you have Gentiles. And both of these groups were pitted against each other. Jews were not only in Israel, but they were also all over the Greco-Roman world, and they were pitted against one another. Jews and Gentiles did not like each other. There were distinctions among them. There were things that kept them separated. Now, it's different in nature, I know, but I think all we have to do is just look around the church on a Sunday morning and notice that there are divisions in the church. I mean, there are white churches, right? There are black churches, there are Hispanic churches. Different in nature, but you begin to see how immediately, when there are differences among people, divisions begin to occur. Now, not all divisions are bad, not all differences are bad, but what we're going to see from Paul is that there should be one body, one new body man. So Paul starts by giving us the Gentile problem in verse 12. He says you have these two different groups of people, the Jew who is the circumcised, the Gentile, the uncircumcised. And he says, listen, let me start with the Gentile because you have a big problem. He says this in verse 12, Gentiles are separated from Christ. They are excluded from God's family, strangers to God's promise, without hope. And all of that leads them ultimately to be without God. That's the Gentile problem because the Jews had the law. Jesus was a Jew. He came from the Jewish people. So Paul sets out this problem, and then he says in verse 13, but here's the solution. Look at verse 13 in Ephesians chapter 2. But now in who? Everybody say it. Christ Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the what? Everybody say it. The blood, right? Everybody say it. The blood. You have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You are going to see throughout chapter 2 references to the gospel. And the first one that Paul says is, listen, it is by the blood of Jesus that you, Jew and Gentile, have been brought together. Now, I want you to just think about that for a moment. Because in verses 
1 through 10 of Ephesians 2, what we looked at last week, we talked about how the blood of Jesus saves us, cleanses us of our sin, reconciles us to God, makes us one with God. And that makes total sense for us. But what Paul begins to say is, listen, it's not just that the blood of Jesus reconciles us to God. The blood of Jesus reconciles us to one another. It breaks down those divisions. So Paul says that God's going to build his church by all people. And he starts with Jew and Gentile. And if you just want to kind of remove the Jew and Gentile labels, what you're talking about is what? All people. Everybody can be found as either a Jew or a Gentile. So what Paul is getting at in Ephesians chapter 2, I think for us as application, is that our triune God, our God wants to build his church with all people. Look at Revelation chapter 7. John has a vision. He's before the throne of God and he says this, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from what? Every nation. From all tribes and peoples, all languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, what what John sees is the reality that Paul is encouraging. That Jesus has come to save not just the Jew, but the Gentile, all people. And one day, in the end, standing before the throne of God will be all people, all nationalities, all races, all ethnicities, Male and female, all socioeconomic statuses, every person, regardless of preference, for those who follow Jesus will be standing before the throne of God. Paul said it similarly in Galatians chapter 3. And I would encourage you, if you've never read the book of Galatians, I would say that the entirety of his letter to the Galatian church is all about reconciliation between the Jew and the Gentile. And he gets to this part in his letter in chapter 3. He says this, For in who? For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into who? Have put on who? You see what he's saying? He is saying that you, in Christ, we all become children of God. How do we know that? Because we've all been baptized into Christ. Every Christian baptized. And when we are baptized, we then put on Christ. And then he says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in who? Christ Jesus. See, Paul is almost working backwards, and what he's saying is, listen, no doubt there are distinctions in the church. And Paul just brings up some basic distinctions that he sees at the church in Galatia. There are Jew and Gentile. There are slaves and free people in this church. There are males and there are females. Paul's not denying the distinctions and the differences within the church. He's just saying, that the common denominator for all of us are not our distinctions, but it's who? 
Christ, Jesus. He's saying that is actually what unifies all of us. It's the person of Jesus. See, because unity is not uniformity. Uniformity is like, listen, we're all the same. We all act the same, believe the same, do the same, feel the same. That's actually really easy. And it's not even unity, it's uniformity. Unity comes when you have a bunch of people who are different and yet unified. And Paul says that regardless of all of these differences, we can still be unified. In Christ, we can celebrate our distinctiveness without divisiveness. We can recognize our unity, and at the same time, because of our unity, we can celebrate what makes us different. So Paul says that our triune God builds his church with all people, but number two, our triune God builds his church by the peace of Jesus. Look at the very beginning of verse 14. Paul says something very simple yet profound. He says, for he himself, who's he here? Jesus, for he himself is our peace. In just a moment, Paul is going to say that Jesus is the one who made peace. He's going to say in just a moment that Jesus is the one who preached peace. Before he can say that Jesus made peace or preached peace, he simply says that in the person of Jesus, in who Jesus is himself, he is peace. Now, you have to understand the significance of that word, peace underpinning and underlying that Greek word is the Hebrew word shalom. And when we think about peace on, in our cultural context, what we think about is like the ceasing of war, the, stri- the, the ending of conflict. But underlying the idea of shalom in both the Old and the New Testament is something more significant. I've shared this quote with you before, but I think it's It encapsulates what shalom is. This author says it like this. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words is the way things ought to be. So Paul says, Jesus is our peace. He's our peace. Because when it comes to our relationship with God, He makes things the way they ought to be. He's our peace because when it comes to the church, He makes things the way they ought to be. He brings wholeness, fullness, flourishing, delight. And here's the significant part about that. That is an objective reality. You don't have to believe it. You don't even necessarily have to like work for it. This is what Jesus has accomplished. It's true. So he says... That Jesus himself is our peace. And then, into verse 14 and 15, he answers the question, how then is Jesus our peace? Look again. 
He says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down, see it there, in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So again, what Paul is getting at is, yes, the gospel is significant. The good news of Jesus, his death and his resurrection is significant for our salvation to be reconciled with God. But at the same time, when Jesus died on the cross in his flesh, that's what Paul means, that his death tore down any dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, between all people. So Paul says, Jesus Jesus brought peace. He is peace by number one, making us one. That's what he says in verse 14. He's made us both one. How did he make us both one? Number two, he removed our divisions. There's an interesting statement in this passage where it says, the dividing wall of hostility. There's a lot of debate as to what that exactly means. In Jerusalem, when the temple existed, there was a dividing wall. The dividing wall was a wall to where if you were a Gentile, you could only walk up to that wall. You could get no closer to the temple. But if you were a Jew, you could walk past that dividing wall, getting closer to the presence of God. And perhaps that's what Paul is talking about. But he could also be talking about the law in general. Not, I'm not talking about the moral law. What I'm talking about are the religious customs that separated Jew and Gentile. Things like circumcision. Things like Sabbath regulations. Things like kosher laws. Praise God. We can all eat bacon in this room. Amen? You say, I mean, come on. I love bacon. No one, how many of you like bacon? It's because of Jesus that you can eat bacon. That's what Paul is getting at. So whether it was a physical wall in the temple or whether it was the law itself, what Paul is getting at is in his flesh what Jesus did was destroy anything that separated Jew and Gentile. So he made us one. He removed our divisions. And then he made the law powerless. Now again... What Paul's referring to is not the moral law, right and wrong. Even some of the Ten Commandments, he's not referring to that. He's referring to those laws that divided Jew and Gentile. And the significance for you and I is what Jesus tore down. Anything that uh, is divisive that Jesus tore down, we shouldn't be putting back up. So Paul says that Jesus is our peace That's how he did it. He then goes in verses 15 through 18 to say, what does his peace accomplish? Look at verses 15 through 18. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body. How? Through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Again, the gospel. He says that first this all happened by the blood. Then he says it happened in his flesh. And then he says that he reconciled us one one together. How? Through the cross. Paul's saying, listen, all of this happened 
Because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. And he said what this piece accomplished is, number one, one new body. See, what Paul is getting at is if Jesus, is there one Jesus or two Jesuses? There's one. Which means there's only one body of Christ. There cannot be two bodies of Christ when there's only one Jesus. So what Paul is saying here is that Christ does not create two separate but equal churches. He creates one new unified church. And the challenge for you and I as followers of Jesus is I think our local churches should reflect as best they can the universal church. That the church global is a diverse community. That God has brought all of these people together. And we should fight for that kind of unity in diversity. Now look, here's what I'm not saying. If you lived in a completely white community, guess what your church should look like? It should probably be completely white because that's the community you're reaching. If you lived in a completely black neighborhood, what should your church look like? This is not a secret answer, by the way. I'm just telling you. It should look black. If I lived in India and there were no Americans around me, do you think there's going to be any Americans in that church? They're going to be what? Indians. So there's a danger when we talk about diversity saying like we should just be reaching all of these people when our community looks nothing like that. But when you live in a diverse place with different ethnicities and different nationalities and different socioeconomic statuses and different preferences, you should be striving as the church to reach those people. And bring those people in so that they might know the love of God through Jesus. And then working together when there's so many differences to be unified in those differences. And that's part of what Paul is getting at when he talks about how Christ has made us one new body. And the way that he's able to make us one new body is because he's reconciled us with one another. The idea of reconciliation is both making peace and killing hostility. That Christ would make that peace, bring peace with us, and at the same time kill the hostility that's between us and our differences. And lastly, he says that this peace accomplishes a relationship with God. I love the way that Paul describes this reality. Verse 17, he says, He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. See, it's like this. Think about someone who is very close to a destination and takes a plane to get to that destination. And then the same or a different group is trying to go to the same place, but they're farther and they take the train. I don't know if you've ever taken a train before. I hear it's a, uh, a beautiful ride but it's a slow ride and what paul is saying is like the jews are like the person who lived really close to the next destination and they have the plane right they know the law christ comes from them and the gentiles are like the person that lives really far from the destination and takes the train but here's the beauty of the gospel what happens is in god's providence he brings both of them to the same destination at the same time that's the power of the gospel 
And Paul says that's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus accomplished all people, Jew, Gentile, everyone has access, the ability to approach God. And all of this, look at verse 18, all of this is from our triune God, through Him. Who's Him? Okay, on three, say it. One, two, three. There we go. Christ, for through Christ, we both, Jew, Gentile, all people, have access in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. Because Jesus came and died for us, we receive the Holy Spirit. And because we all, regardless of differences, receive the Holy Spirit, we are able to approach and worship and adore and love and follow our Father. That's what Paul is saying Jesus has done for us. And so lastly, our triune God builds his church into one family. Verses 19 through 22 have some incredible language that Paul uses. Look at verse 19 to start. He says, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now what you're going to find in these three or four verses is Paul uses the same word over and over again, just in different ways. It comes from the Greek word oika, which means home or house. And he uses this word in different ways to say things like aliens, household, built, structure, built together, dwelling place. And he's, the reason he's using this word is he's because he's trying to paint an image in our minds. The first one that he says is that you are all aliens, He says, you went from being an alien outside of that family to now being a member of that family. You went from not having a family to being in the family. The church is more than a nonprofit or a social club. It is a family. That's the first image that Paul begins with, the first metaphor. The church is the family of God, the household of God. But then he shifts. Look at verse 20 and 21. He says, This household has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together. Do you see the distinction? We went from being a family, and Paul shifts and says, Now that family is what? It's a building. And look at the language that he uses where he talks about that it was built, that it has a cornerstone. Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the apostles and prophets themselves being the foundation, that it has a structure or it's a building, that it's joined together. That word joined together is an architectural term that in the ancient world, architects would have used, where if they were building something and they had to make uh, rocks fit together, stones fit together, they would cut the stones So they fit just perfectly. And Paul is saying, listen, this is God who has done this in you. He's literally joining you together like an architect joins a building together. Notice also in these verses, all of the verbs are passive. And that's important because what Paul is getting at is this is work that we don't do. This is work God is doing. God has done. This idea of joining together, this week I thought about it like this. It is the beginning of the school year, so I've been trying to build in different school-related illustrations. Last week we talked about prefixes. Does everybody remember that? This week we're going to talk about science. 
Some of you might be more excited about science, I don't know. Do you know the difference between a physical reaction and a chemical reaction? Physical reaction, you could take like salt and pepper. And if you mixed salt and pepper together, do the substances or elements change? No. Did anybody say yes? Don't raise your hand. It's, the answer is no. Okay? You, they don't change. In fact, if you were meticulous enough, you could separate the salt and pepper. But imagine you wanted to bake a cake. Is baking a cake a physical reaction or a chemical reaction? Excellent job. It's a chemical reaction. So you put all the ingredients together, you put the cake in the oven, you heat it to like 350, you let it cook for, uh, you know, 25 to 30 minutes, and then you pull the cake out. Are you able to separate what's gone into the cake? No. It's a chemical reaction. The elements have changed. And I think part of what Paul is saying when he says God has been joining us together is the church is more like a chemical reaction than it is a physical reaction. Whether we believe it or like it or not, God has knitted us together in Jesus to where we cannot be separated. And so Paul says, we're a family, but we're a building. He said previously, at the beginning of chapter 2, we're not only united with Christ, but now, at the end of chapter 2, he says we're united with one another. We're united together. And then lastly, at the end of verse 21 into 22, he says that all of this grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Again, the image shifts family, building, temple. Paul is saying this building is not just like any other building. This building is actually the temple of God. And the temple of God was significant. Why? Because the presence of God dwells there. And so what Paul is saying when he says that, listen, God is the one building this building, and in fact, it's the temple of God. He's saying, listen, it is the church where the presence of God dwells. And I love the kind of mixing of metaphors that Paul uses here because he's talking about inorganic material. He's talking about stones and wood and, you know, mortar, all of these things that put buildings together, none of that which is living, right? And then he says, he asks that this would continue to grow. And he begins to use an organic metaphor again to say, the church of God should always be growing. It's not just that God builds us, but he builds us that we will grow and we will develop. I thought about it like this. Any of you have those pictures growing up? The school pictures where it was like kindergarten through 11th grade was like a semicircle, and in the middle was your senior picture. I had one of those, and I, I, my mom probably still has it, where all of my school pictures are there. And I thought about that as a parent, that if I'm looking at that and I'm seeing my child, I should be seeing my child, my son and my daughter, kind of develop and grow. And if there's a, a year or two years where it's like, what happened? They stopped growing. Something, something's not right. I should be concerned about that. And we as the church, as 
The body of Christ as the family of God, as the temple of God, we should be growing and developing into what? Saints. Holy ones. The church is the holy temple because we are the holy ones. That's the church. One of the things that I thought about this week as I was preparing for this message, I was just curious. And so I went online and I looked up kind of the census data for Orleans Parish, for Jefferson Parish, and I just wanted to pick one element of diversity. I could have looked at marital status, I could have looked at socioeconomic status, I just looked at race. And I began to look at like what are the distinctions, the diversity in our communities. In Orleans Parish, 31% of the population is white. 60% of Orleans Parish is black. 6% is Hispanic. 3% Asian. In Jefferson Parish, 51% of the population is white. 29% is black. 15% is Hispanic. 5% is Asian. This is just from the 2020 census begins to show you that in our surrounding community, there is a ton of diversity. And if we're truly reaching our surrounding community, should we not begin to look like our community? Our triune God builds His church with different people by the peace of Jesus into one family. And this week, I just want to give you some questions that I think we collectively as a church body should think about, but I also think that we as individuals as a part of Vintage Church should think about. Number one, what are we doing to reach our diverse community? We have a lot of diversity around us in many ways. What are we doing to reach those people? What are we doing to, to make our diverse community feel welcome? That when someone comes in who looks different than us, they still feel welcome. And what are we doing to grow our diverse church in unity? The more diverse we grow, the more difficult unity will become. But we, I think, recognize that we need both. Diversity, unity. How do we fight for both? Listen, all of this is not about like, I just want to be a diverse church for diversity's sake. This morning I was reflecting on this and just thinking about it, and I thought about the people that God has put in my life. People like Pastor Mark, Rayon, Daniel Baptiste, who you saw in the video. Montre Wyatt, our, uh, our formation coordinator. Sharon, who serves faithfully week in and week out. Those are just a few of people of color, black people who God has put in my life. And those individuals have enriched my life and faith. I think about people like Will and Zuellen. Ellie, as she walks into the room on cue. 
Spanish-speaking, Hispanic people who have enriched my life and faith. Here's my prayer, that this white guy has enriched their lives and their faith. And I have to believe, and this is the significance of this, I have to believe that there are people outside of this building in our community that would enrich our community. And we too would enrich their lives. And I think that's part of what Paul is getting at. God's plan and God's desire has always been to be in relationship with humanity. Not one people group. And that should be our desire. As a church, to reach our community. And in reaching our community, we grow in diversity. And as we grow in diversity, we fight to be more unified than ever. So the question for each one of us this week is how are we going to be about that? What are we going to do to reach our diverse community and make them feel welcome? And what are we going to do as a church to remain unified in that diversity? Our point of unity is who? It's Jesus. He is what keeps us unified. He is why we work to reach people that look, sound, think, feel different than us. May we stay focused on Him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you, God, for your church. That it is you building your church. That it is you calling all different kinds of people to your church. Help vintage church, God. Fight for diversity. That we would be a church that looks like our community because we're reaching our community. But in our diversity, God, help us remain united, not on our differences, but on your Son, Jesus, alone. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.